Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lawrence here with me. In this episode, well, we have a press conference to talk about. Jim Harbaugh met with uh, local media members for the first time since January 1st and and discussed a whole bunch of things. You know, the season, the uh, the team a little bit, the return to campus, um, uh, kind of kind of his thoughts on the on the quarantine, on the on the pandemic, and a little bit more. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about the growing intrigue. Well, maybe not intrigue. Maybe just that it's probably going to happen. Maybe a growing inevitability would be the way to put it about the potential ten game Big Ten only season. What we think of it, and and kind of the alternatives and and where we go from here. So. Anyway, let's start with with Jim Harbaugh. And let's start here, since this obviously is what moved the needle. It was another uh, nothing burger made to look like the biggest deal in the world. Jim Harbaugh, in, in a pretty lengthy opening, an unopening statement, he was asked about does is there any discussion or anything, any reason for the football season to be moved to the spring in his mind. And it was a pretty long answer. His, his, the genesis of his answer was, if there are students on campus, I think games can be played. And the reason he says that is that without fans, you really just have to test the players. You have to test the officials and the coaches. But it's not like this has to be a um, – it doesn't change. It's, it's not being in a lecture hall or a classroom – is not explicitly less dangerous in, in you know, from what he said than playing in a football game. Now there is more contact in a football game. There's a little bit more aerobic activity, I would assume than in a typical uh, lecture class, but it's also outdoors. So his point was if students are on campus there in his mind, there's no reason for there not to be football. Now there's a way of condensing that and one way that was chosen, um, you know, with the Twitter moment, with some of the national narratives, is that there was a line in there where he said, there's no expert out there that doesn't, I think it might still be trending on Twitter. <laughs> there's no expert out there that has said football could increase the risk of COVID-19, which obviously is, well, I mean, I don't know if anyone's done a football-specific study but it's very clear that sports and contact and, and there's lots of symptoms of football or, or repercussions that football could have. So anyway, his, his overall point I think was fine. It was good. I mean, it, it continues kind of Harbaugh is going to say it his way. He isn't going to read off a statement, which I, which there's a lot of things I, I wish he would do differently with press conferences, like have more of them. I do appreciate that. He doesn't read off of a statement. Uh, he, he doesn't, he says what's on his mind. And, and I think there, you know, he puts, he puts thought into it too. Like clearly his answer, this is something that he's been having discussions at least several times a week with other relevant people, directors or coaches or administrators or, or public health officials. And so I thought his answer was fine. I, I didn't have any problem with it, but that sentence clearly set a lot of people off. It set a lot of people off because it makes Harbaugh kind of, off to it makes him come off a little bit like a meathead just that one sentence alone in a vacuum but unfortunately that's the one that took off more than the full answer you know that's the one that that some of the national people were were spinning or that 
people on the Twitter moments, you know, I know a few epidemiologists and, and, and doctors kind of weighed in and said, Oh, so glad he's, he's weighing in on this thing that he clearly knows nothing about, which I don't know if it, that's necessarily true. And so Steve, um, your thoughts, I, I think this is not the first time that it's happened. I know it's not the first time that it's happened. And it just seems like um, there's a push to make Harbaugh look like a fool. More, more. I mean, it, it even occurred when he was doing all the aggressive recruiting. You know, it's like, oh, here's this guy that hangs out shirtless and plays pickup football with kids. And, and like, if you actually look at the situation, it wasn't this ridiculous ludicrous thing same with starting a a a home visit at a at a certain time of night so that it looks like a sleepover you know it's just I don't know people just seem to want want him to fail and I guess that's the perception of Harbaugh in a lot of contexts where they look at what he hasn't done versus what he has done which I I think in terms of on the field I think both are um, pretty relevant at this point but Steve your thoughts on this um if it's not spin, I don't, I guess it's very selective decision-making based off of what he said, because I'll get to it in a moment, but I feel like Michigan's actions have been very public health informed. I mean, I've, I've run almost every single one of these plans by at least one epidemiologist, every single protocol they have for returning to campus, all the testing that they've done Two positive asymptomatic tests out of over 530 tests is, is remarkable and exceptional. And, you know, hearing Quiddy Pay talk about it, they're wearing masks everywhere. They're not going to parties, things like that. And so, um, Steve, your thoughts on on starting with the spin, and then we can talk a little bit about the protocol in a moment. So, yeah, I guess regarding the spin, you know, I, I think there's a couple issues at play. One is that nobody, you take the original tweet by a beat reporter, which I don't think was like an intentional. No, I don't think it was. Right, it's an intentional situation to, to inflame or, or start something like this. But it, it, it did. You know, it was not the proper way to relay the information. The second, the second thing is, is that there's never any effort put in by anybody. Fans, media, you're never going to get the effort from opposing fans. It makes it easy for them to pick out little snippets or whatever but then it just defeats the entire message to begin with which you know I think Harbaugh's Harbaugh is obviously in you know football mode wants to play football mode but I think part of that is because by and large the plan that we spent a podcast discussing a few weeks ago that they wanted to implement that they spent 90 minutes on a zoom call with, with multiple with as many parents of, on the team as they could and families has been worked to near perfection so far. Right. I think that's part of where he's coming from. 500 tests and only two asymptomatic positives is an insanely amazing success rate considering what you're seeing at other programs across the country. And, and so just I, nationally period. Right, right. In yeah. any situation. So he's, you know, I think you have to take that into context as well when you're talking about what he had to say regarding, you know, his outlook and, and if football can hurt this or whatever. Because my belief is I got to assume, and I'm, I'm in agreement here, the players are probably safer at Mich- where they are now than they would be back wherever they all live. I think we've 
address right, that before that if if you're doing training if you're working out or going to the gym or anything you are safer from all evidence of safety all ways to measure it i would have to assume you're safer at michigan than you are elsewhere right so you know i think he's operating under those premises when he's speaking off on the topic, you know, he has no reason to speak on Clemson having 30 positive tests or North Carolina or Ohio state, you know, with all these positive tests and stuff. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're him, you should be there. There should be optimism because it, they've done a really good job of implementing and executing what they set out to do beginning when, I mean, really, I don't know, hard to know when the logistics of, how Michigan was going to decide how to do things came into place. But whenever they did it, it's clear that the plan they implemented is, is successful right now. So um, yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. I, I, you know, again, I, I, people are going to take anything he says and run a mile with it. I do see a little bit of a double edged sword in that. I don't like the, I, I mean, obviously I hate the idea that, you know, this is one of those things where it's like, if you're him, you're like, why do I even want to talk to these people now? I mean, he's not, he's not somebody who cares that much, you know, necessarily about oh. how his, but, but well, yes and no, it seems to vary, but you know, a, a situation like yesterday is one of those, I feel like it could be one of the reasons he only, you know, it was the first time he's met with the media since January, since the end of the season. Right. Right. So right. could be, you know, it's like where it's like, it's not even worth it. Whatever I say gets twisted and misconstrued and blown up anyway. Uh, you know, but I do think, you know, I think what happens is when he meets with the media so little, I do think there's an effort to, and if this is, inc- it's not the right thing at all. I think it's the absolute wrong thing, but I do think there's like an overexerted effort to, to kind of embellish some of the things that he says to create headlines and stuff, because he is somewhat of a polarizing figure, especially nationally. Um, you know, so I, I kind of get that sense too, where I'd almost say, even if, you know, there was that, or the original tweet that got things started, even if that had never happened, it's almost, you still kind of feel like that somebody would have taken what he said out of context to make a headline out of it either way, regardless of that tweet. Right. So maybe I think this was a little different. I I do know what, what you're saying because we do see that in, in his press conferences where, um, you know, people are kind of looking, I felt like every question that was asked yesterday was like, I don't think there was any question that he could be like, I can't believe they're asking me this. I think it really was just, and he does this from time to time where he, if he talks, if he says a long statement or a long answer, he's bound to have like six seconds where he says something dumb. And that's not that's not an indictment on him. I'm I'm sure you could probably find six seconds in this podcast where we say something dumb. It's just the nature of the beast. And I I think you're right though. I think there are no one no one in the local media. I think um, everyone is is pretty fair to him there. But it's um, you do see it nationally where people are kind of like, hey, if I can put Jim Harbaugh COVID and have it be a, a kind of crazy headline then that will do really well for for my business and so um and i i think the one thing to your point about the double-edged sword about why do you meet with the media but then if you don't meet with them enough then it's tricky i do think 
maybe this is just coming from my perspective where I would like to have more press conferences with him or, or other coaches or, or players. Um, the more often you meet with the media, the less severe the press conferences are going to be. I mean, yesterday he was getting questions about his contract extension. He was getting questions about, you know, the Washington game being scheduled. I mean, it was, it was a lot of heavy hitting stuff The you know, not being able to develop a quarterback, Robert Anderson, um, you know, some of this we'll discuss in the podcast. Some of it we won't, but I mean, that's, that's a lot to be prepared for too. And well, so I think part of that's because he's not meeting with the media, but once every six months though, too, I mean, exactly. that's partly his doing in that regard. So that's you know. where, that's kind of how I view it, where it's like, you know, if he, and I'm not saying, you know, he's, he's entitled to do what he wants, but I think if I were, if he were asking me, Hey, how do I make these press conferences less of a, um, less of a storm, I guess is, you know, if he'd done a meeting right after he had dropped that, um, that open letter to college football, you know, he would have, and say he had done one right when the pandemic started. So like in March, like if he had done one of each, then some of these questions would have already been asked and, and he would have provided an answer and, and people would already kind of know where he's coming from and what his stance is on playing in the spring versus the fall or, or the coronavirus. And, and I get where it's tricky. Cause you don't want to, if he's, if he does a presser in March, his answer might be a lot different than it might be in May. And it might be a lot different than it is in July. But I do wonder personally, as someone who transcribes pretty much every word that Harbaugh says throughout the year. Yeah. It does seem like these long droughts when he's coming back, no one, you know, people aren't asking as much about what you might call the softball questions. They're asking much more of the like, Hey, we have a lot of things you need to, you or someone in your administration need to kind of address. And so that might be part of it too. That's a, that's an interesting point about the double-edged sword. Um, I think I, I really, I think he had one, his answer was pretty solid. He had one bad sentence and, and that's just what took off. And that's, I think part of that is cause it wasn't a great sentence. And then part of that is because I think you're right. I think there are people who, are looking for a reason to criticize Jim Harbaugh. And I don't think he's the only coach. I think Dabo's starting to enter that territory where, sure. um, you know, he's, he said enough weird or odd things that, and has become a little bit of a, of a caricature where people are like, he could have a really eloquent, thoughtful answer. Um, but if he says something quirky at the end, it's kind of like, Hey, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what people take. And, and so, um, but anyway, I, I, he is really optimistic about a fall season, uh, which, which goes kind of, as, we, as you mentioned, in the face of Ohio State had to shut down practices. North Carolina had to shut them down. I don't have a running list of all the other schools, but I know Kansas State has. And, and it is interesting because two out of 530 plus. And, and Steve, I think one thing that, that I just wrote about this morning that I thought was really interesting about what he said is, um, he was asked about the players' reaction to everything and, and to these return to campus protocols, and and Harbaugh was beaming. I mean, he was fired up about how well his players have reacted to this. And uh, I don't know if you caught my story last week, but Quiddy Pay was speaking on the in the trenches podcast and basically was describing how what it's like for a player to go through through these practices. And I really think I'll, I'll give Michigan credit here. I think they've really embraced the. Um, the difficulties that 
this pandemic has brought to, to workouts. I mean, they talk about they're doing daily temperature checks. They're doing uh, surveys, you know, checking your sleep, your, your symptom, you know, all that stuff. They do that every day. They have a whole assembly line to make sure when you go through the locker room, you're not, um, you're not being exposed to extra risk or exposing others to extra risk. And then, and then even like, like bench press or squatting or weightlifting, it's like they have multiple people ready to sanitize everything. They're in groups of seven throughout the day, as I understand it. Um, if it's not exactly seven, then forgive me, but, um, and then they, you know, even to be spotted. So like if you need a spotter while you're squatting or something, uh, you know, that staff member has extra PPE, you know, there's extra sanitation. And so, and the way Quiddy Pay described it, he was like, they're almost taking this as a point of pride, uh, to see how well they can approach this. And that's, that's probably got to be the mindset because I think, there's a lot of changes. Everyone in their lives have a lot of changes, not just college football teams and there's setbacks and there's, there's inconveniences. And so how do you approach it? Do you approach it as it's the solution or do you approach it kind of dragging your feet? Like, man, we got to do this. We have to do this. And so to me, one smaller or minor takeaway from Jim Harbaugh's press conference is it's, it's very clear Michigan has embraced this. They, they aren't just doing the protocols. They aren't just listening to experts. I think they've, their mindset is that it can, they're almost treating it like it can be a competitive advantage, which, you know, depending on your view of things, I guess it could be, but yeah, the two out of the five, five thirty. I mean, Quiddy Pay's talking about like, you know, they're, they're saying no to hanging out with different friends or, or other groups of people on campus. They're um, you know, wearing masks everywhere they go. Uh, you know, so, some of it's easy to do. Some of it's harder to do. But it does seem like Michigan has embraced the health component of handling the pandemic and, and is treating it like it could be a competitive advantage. Yeah, the other thing, too, that I'm curious, I'm not really sure how or if you know, if this, if Michigan can use this to their advantage or not, but obviously I always think of things like from a recruiting point of view. And again, it goes back to the fact that Michigan clearly has their players safety as not saying that other programs, you know, don't have them at a high priority, but I mean, really we're looking around the country and that number of over 500, I don't even know if I've seen any other, and a lot of programs aren't reporting any numbers of anything, but to have that many tests and the success rate that they've had, you know, points back to their, the success of this plan is something that, you know, I feel like if, if utilized properly from a recruiting standpoint could really endear families to what Michigan is about, you know, as far as not just how the coaches and how the staff approached bringing these guys back into the fold, but that pride, you talked about and almost like a a coexistence you know the players really have to feel good about you know like that their their head coach that their program like has their their the highest priority is keeping these guys as safe and uh healthy as possible you know and it, I, I would imagine that has probably emboldened and brought out that pride that you well, talk think about, about it think about it like this um chris and and mia hinton chris hinton's parents they have started a coalition of parents with i think around 1400 members and i don't like with anything that could be a recruiting advantage i don't think this changes everything 
But the Hintons have gone to the Washington Post, the LA Times, you know, all these all these big newspapers and, and media conglomerates, and and they've been on record basically saying we're very pleased with how Michigan and Stanford have handled things. And so, whereas like they're kind of posting these open letters to athletic directors saying they want answers for a lot of stuff, that parents want answers for a lot. And, and so it's, it's interesting because it is parents of a Michigan Stanford student who are kind of leading the charge. But at the same time, I've seen it in multiple national media outlets where they, they wish they're basically saying they wish more schools were doing it the way Michigan was, you know, releasing data, um, kind of being transparent with the parents, as you mentioned, the 90 minute zoom call, Man, if that didn't get parents on board, I mean, just from the reaction that you've heard and, and that I've heard as well, uh, that, that really seemed to um, really endear a lot of parents to how Michigan was handling this. And so as word should. spreads, as it word should. spreads, right? I mean, the Hintons know people. I'm sure there are parents who are kind of looking around like, okay, which, and, and just like, you know, with, with maybe some of the uh, racial unrest, maybe not a discussion for this podcast in particular, but yeah, I mean, parents are going to look around and, you know, they, they don't decide for their kids, but they, they probably get a bit of an opinion. <laughs> they can probably, they can pro- I mean, if they're looking around and seeing some schools handling this poorly or some schools handling that poorly. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the Michigan coaching staff, just you can tell by the, the tweets that they've had and the, 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 what they've said when they've been asked about this pandemic is they're like, their mindset is, they want to handle this better than any coaching staff does in the country. And whether they do or not, that's a different discussion. Um, but the results are so far, I'd say pretty darn impressive. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I, I live pretty close to the facilities. I see a lot of, a lot of students who aren't on the football team or that are, that are kind of, I think it's cat as Jim Harbaugh put it cavalier about this. Um, and so, and and I have friends, I mean, I'm 25. I have friends who, who are cavalier about it too. And so for Michigan football to have this kind of buy-in, I think is significant. Uh, Steve, I'll let you pick the next one. Anything else from that press conference stand out to you? No, not particular. I mean, there, there were a ton of topics to discuss. I, I guess from strictly a football standpoint, and I'd say I'd preface it by saying this. It was a name we heard last year, too, so I'm not going to go overboard with it or anything. But, sure. to, but to hear Donovan Jeter's name among the first that Harbaugh mentioned as far as guys who appear to have, what, used this situation the to their advantage. Yeah, made the most of the situation from a physical standpoint. You know, to hear his name, I think is, is it is. It's as best-case scenario as you can ask for strictly from a, hey – what guy has impressed you the most? You're, you know, when you're thinking for the betterment of the program or the team this year, or the, you know, the betterment of just the roster, is to hear the name of an interior defensive lineman, probably not right. named Carlo Kemp or Chris Hinton, because you can kind of, I think we can kind of count on those guys being major contributors. Uh, so to hear him mention Donovan Jeter, I think is is encouraging. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about the offensive line. Feel like that's going to be, we you know we broke that down pretty uh, in pretty far. We went pretty deep into the offensive line a few weeks yes. ago, but yes, we but did. still uh, the interior it looks like where that's where the majority of the battles will be there. Um, so no, I mean that really the the mention of Jeter 
and RJ Moten, who we've also talked about, like I said, I think I tweeted even, which try not to tweet as often. Um, is that, you know, the word special has been used to describe him explicitly to me. So I, I think the hopes are very high there for the true freshman. I think if he figures it out from a playbook standpoint, I think he's a guy that could play pretty early. And so, you know, but no, I thought, I thought just mentioning Donovan Jeter, just hearing some names again too was refreshing. It's been a while. Uh, but right. Jeter's, Jeter's name being mentioned I thought was was probably the other really big thing I took out of it because, you know, if they get anything out of him this year, that's a big success. And I, I don't yeah. mean it. I don't, when I say anything, I'm not trying to – he's capable of doing more, I, I suspect. I think the coaches believe that too. So if he can do – if he can make a step for them, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, even if – he doesn't even need to start. For, for it to be a um, you know viewed as a a heavy plus for for Michigan's coaching staff and defensive line capabilities. I mean, think about last season. You know, I know everyone looks at the Wisconsin game, and that's I mean for good reason. They they had some injuries, they had some some players who weren't quite ready for that kind of game yet, and and it it showed on the defensive line. It just got pushed around. I mean, and even against Army, it got pushed around a little bit, and so. Yeah, I think everyone is pretty solid. I mean, if Carlo Kemp basically just has another 2019, I don't think anyone would be upset at him. And I don't think anyone would be upset if Chris Hinton, you know, was, you know, played as what we kind of are expecting him to play like. But it's really that second string. If they can get a rotation in there, and that's where Julius Welshoff being up to 292, very intriguing. That's where uh, Mozzie Smith, you know, maybe putting having it come together for him. I mentioned him in the redshirt freshman who could make an impact in 2020. Uh, that's very intriguing. Jess Spate, another player. And then, you know, apparently Gabe Newberg, I'm not sure quite what his size is, but Quiddy Pay was talking about him like he, he had a physical transformation. And so Jeter, to be up 35 pounds, I mean, even if even if that's just as a, as a you know, specialty package, jumbo package, space eater, or second string defensive tackle, that's probably better than 290 pound Donovan Jeter. I guess we have to see how he moves, but yeah, being up to 320, 325 pounds. And then, um, and then RJ Moten, as you mentioned, multiple 50 plus mile bike rides per week where he was burning over 3000 calories in that sitting. So those are really the only two names he mentioned when asked about, you know, who's standing out in this off season, but, yeah, the offensive line, he talked about the quarterback battle. Seemed seemed really pleased with, as, as we've kind of mentioned, the on- and off-field approach that Cade McNamara, Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton have all made. And so, um, yeah, but let's let's shift to, for the second half of this podcast, let's shift to the football schedule. You know, Jim Harbaugh seemed to, seemed to hold back a little bit when he was asked if he has a preference, he said, he's not going to weigh in. He's going to let the athletic directors and school presidents and administrators do the talking. And then he was asked about the Washington game, you know, since it is further away, longer flight. Um, you know, he, he kind of did the same thing. He said he'd defer to you know, whatever he's told, but we have discussed it before on the podcast would be more surprised if that Washington game did happen than did not at this point. And then, Tom Deinhart, who used to be a Big Ten Network, I believe he tweeted today or maybe wrote an article um, reporting that the Big Ten 
is likely to do a 10-game conference-only season. There's been plenty of chatter about this. This wasn't this isn't a bombshell report, but um, let's start with reactions to the 10-game season. We can talk about the logistics of everything else in a moment. 10-game, uh, Big Ten-only season. The reasons I like it, one, you can standardize the Big Ten a lot easier than you can standardize college football. You know, an Arkansas State or a, or a Ball State or, or a group of five school, they might not have the budget that even a Rutgers or Maryland has or a Purdue or a Minnesota and so you can, if you're Kevin Warren, it's very easy to tell the 14 schools, if you want to play football this year, here are, the, here are the standards that you have to meet, you know, in terms of testing frequency, surveillance testing, um, you know, positive, positive test rate, things like that. It's much easier to, to just say, uh, hey, 14 schools you, who have similar budgets and revenue streams and, and are in a similar situation um, both research and financially, here are the things you have to follow. And then the other thing I like about it is, well, it reduces travel too, and not just for Michigan, but for schools that might be visiting Michigan. And so there's that, and you can kind of do a regional component. And whereas, like, instead of going out to Washington, maybe you're going down to Purdue, or I guess Purdue's coming is scheduled to come to Michigan Stadium, but maybe you maybe you go to Northwestern. And so there's that component as well. Um, and then the third thing I like about it is the 10 games that allows some flexibility because you know, I, I hate to project or say I expect this. So I, I won't, but I do wonder if a team well, like Ohio state this today, this week had to shut down their or their practices, or their voluntary workouts. And so what happens if in September, Hypothetically, there is a major spike in cases in, you know, say Minneapolis and Minnesota has to shut things down. And they, they, they have, they have, or they have 10 to 12 players test positive in one day. Well, then at that point, you know, do you, do you just say, Hey, you have to play really shorthanded and risk yourself in terms of injury, or can you just put the game off a week and maybe have some some schedule flexibility. So those are the three reasons I like it. Um, hopefully I didn't, hopefully you still have <laughs> some thoughts on it too, Steve, but, but your thoughts on this 10 game big 10 only season that is being reported. I love it. I think it'd be sweet. I think it'd be as about as great a consolation prize as you could ask for uh, to play all in conference. I just, I just think it'd be cool. It almost feel like a throwback of sorts. <coughs> excuse me um you know for an all-conference season i think the question yeah i think if you're a michigan fan yeah you want like you'd hope that the 10th team is like not a contender i don't know who they're not playing this year but you'd you know if you're michigan you know it's like you figure it'd be like if fans jaded enough to think that they'll probably get added like ohio state would get rutgers and michigan would get like Nebraska or somebody who might be all right or something. But um, I, I like the idea of it. Like I said, I think it's as good a consolation prize as you could ask for. I think it's reasonable. I assume you'd have to keep it somewhat geographical though, right? I mean, it's not as – I don't think you'd see Nebraska traveling. Like I guess the question – the one question I had was, do you shift within the current schedule right now? So, for instance, 
I don't know if Nebraska is supposed to play Rutgers this year, but do you tweak that a little bit so that Nebraska doesn't have to travel all the way to Piscataway or vice versa? You know, so that's, that's one aspect of it I'm interested in. For a lot of schools, it won't matter. You know, like Michigan's relatively centralized, Michigan State, um, Indiana, Purdue, you know, whatever. But the schools mm-hmm. that are in the extreme east and west side of the conference footprint, I'm interested to see if they would tweak, you know, if it's going to be a whole different, you know. I assume the games, most of the games that are already set would probably stay the same, you know, just to keep continuity from a home and away standpoint and that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the things I kind of thought of right away when I found out. So, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah, well, t- go ahead. I was just going to say, I know um, there's been discussion and it just means rumors. I don't mean that this is uh, official or anything, but there's been discussion one of keeping it as geographic as possible. And then there's also been discussion even about um, maybe even playing a team twice in, in a circumstance where that's better to mitig- to minimize travel. So, for example, if you're Rutgers, well, really, I mean, you're only close to Maryland and you're kind of close to Penn State. Like, this isn't – every everything's a travel. And so, um, you know, and same with, I'd argue, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, where they're you – know, for the, the bulk of their season is going to be – I mean, Minnesota, I think Iowa's the only school within uh, – Wisconsin's, I think, within four hours. But, yeah, it's – it's still you're far away from a lot of your opponents. So teams might have a team that they play twice in the season. So Michigan might play like a Michigan state twice in the season, just to get up to that 10 games while still trying to minimize travel. So I don't know if that officially happens, but I got to think have to think just if they're putting this together, logically there'd be some regional component because Michigan, if you think about it, they have one, two, three, four, five, six opponents within four-hour drive of them that they could, if they're trying to cut costs and they're trying to uh, keep, you know, I don't know which which safety precautions they're they're prioritizing, but trying to minimize the flights and minimize the hotels and cut costs overall. I mean, you you can drive to and from Northwestern same day. You can drive to and from Indiana and Purdue same day. You can drive to and from Ohio State same day, and then obviously Michigan State as well. So yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, from a from a person who will be watching all the games, uh, it is it is interesting too because it you know I've I've always wondered what it would look like if more of the Big Ten played each other. You know. Do, do certain teams have – are they revealed maybe not playing the Rutgers and the Marylands and the Indianas every year? They reveal a little bit more? Or, or the Big Ten West, I guess, is the, the place where people wonder, like, hey, how many Big Ten East teams would beat up this team that won the Big Ten West? So I like it from that standpoint. Uh, logistically speaking, since I got a question about it last week, what are the logistical implications – of canceling the Washington game. So my thought, I mean, from a, from a contract standpoint, I'm going to guess both schools are going to agree that that game shouldn't happen this year. Washington may not have to travel as much, may not have to pay as much for travel, um, but they also aren't going to make the revenue from the fan normally would for having an opponent like Michigan. So I'm going to guess both schools just agree to not play it now 
What does that do for the home and homes? What does that do? So I guess there is a potential you could just push if if all if a lot of schools are doing no non-conference games, could you just push all the schedules back a year across the board? I mean, how many people have really booked their hotels for, you know, more than a year? And so that makes sense. Um, I know Michigan has an open date in 2023 and they are not scheduled or 2022 where they are not scheduled to play a power five opponent. It would be the first time since like the fifties that they haven't played a power five non-conference opponent. And so that's a possibility too. Um, you know, do you reschedule it? Do you call force majeure? I think I've got included in there. Do you call this that and just, just take it, take the, take the whole series off the table. Um, there's a few options. I won't pretend to know what Michigan's going to do. I'm sure that's, I'm sure why they haven't announced any of this is that everyone's trying to figure out all the, all the follow-up questions that would follow a decision like a 10 game conference only season. But Steve, any thoughts to the logistical implications of not playing Washington? That was a series I was, I know Michigan fans, I know there's like this growing uh, group that doesn't want to see any difficult non-conference games, but that was a series I, I was looking forward to as a reporter. And then, um, you know, I think it's a series. I'm sure, I'm sure the players would rather play a game at Washington than, you know, host a directional or something like that. Uh, it's talking about down the road. So any thought the logistical implications of the schedule? I mean, I wasn't a fan of this series outside of, yeah, I mean, media getting to go to Seattle, whether I went or not. I don't like flying, so that's a long drive. But it is just, you know, my thought on this specific series was much more about the lack of success that Big Ten teams have had uh, traveling to Pac-12 programs. I think it's one of those games, scenarios where – if even if Michigan's the better team, they're in, with it being the first game of the season, it's a legitimate chance they could lose, and it would put them in a big hole to begin the year. I just um, that's historically for Michigan too. I mean, they've they have struggled mightily when traveling to the West Coast in the past. I mean, you think of past games at Washington, at Oregon uh, back in the day. So it's, Rose yeah, Bowl, it's, yeah, Utah, it's a good it's yeah. a good series, you know, from like a. Uh, NCAA football 14 like standpoint, you know, Michigan to play Washington, but, and and I don't know if it's so much about fans being like wanting to avoid playing like quality programs in the non-conference. It's more so like teams that don't challenge themselves in non-conference, like aren't really heavily penalized. So why should Michigan, you know, go that route? So, I mean, again, and I know, like, Bama has, has – but but that's Bama. You know, them playing, like, Penn State four or five years ago or three or four years ago is different because they are just at, they were just at such a higher level. It sounds good to schedule that game and play it, but um, Michigan not quite at that point yet where they can schedule against legit programs and, and know they're going to go in and win the game or, or dominate. So, whatever. I mean, if they play it, I think it would be a great – be a fun and exciting – matchup i don't know what they'll do though if they have to cancel this year how they'll do it if they'll shift it back or what i don't know what michigan's was there there was the year i think they canceled with arkansas right yeah yeah they actually so had to I, pay for it a little bit this right year. so i guess there might be 
an opening in there where they could slide this a little bit, I suppose. Uh, but I, you know, I don't, I have no clue what they're going to do. I think the, yeah, I think the financial aspect of it is really going to start to come into play depending on what type of revenue these programs can generate during this situation. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I think things are going to get really conservative and really tight, uh, you know, as far as how they approach these kind of decisions. So that, that'd be my outlook on it. But, you know, as far as like for this season, I mean, honestly, I I'd just play directional school, beat them and, you know, take your chances nationally from a national standpoint. Again, if that's how, it, if that's how they do it or whatever, but yeah. that's the way yeah. I look at it. And they have to beat Ohio state anyways. Right. right. So, right. Um, in order to, in order to make playoffs or whatever, but as far as uh, it was, John Legend, I am Stefan Zonia, who tweeted at me and asked about. He also asked about the time frame. I have to think in the next two weeks yep. is when we hear about this, the Big Ten schedule. We hear about Michigan's schedule. Um, I know I'm checking every day just in case someone accidentally takes it off or accidentally <laughs> puts an updated schedule early. But it, I keep hearing soon. I know Jim yesterday. I know other people have said it. I think I'm under the impression that schools and college kind of know what they want to do. They just have to make sure they, I always say dot the I's cross the T's. Um, actually, no, I usually say it the other way cross anyway. Um, but they have to make sure everything, all these and nuances are hashed out. Uh, one more question about, or from Jim Harbaugh's press conference, and then, and then we'll close off this podcast. Uh, but he was asked uh, first. He was asked, kind of like, has he reflected it on? He he kind of gave a, a a sort of vague answer. But then he was asked, is there anything that the team has done during quarantine that they want to keep? And so, you know, I always joke uh, that like all this curbside pickup and all this um, outdoor seating. It's like I hope they keep that post pandemic. But but in terms of the football team, the one thing he said was he thinks the staff and and the recruits and and the way the way everyone is taken to zoom meetings has really is something that he wants to keep going even after, even once the, the dead period is lifted. So Steve, I, I know you're a recruiting person. Can you elaborate on, on why this is thing Michigan has taken to so much and, and your thoughts on it? And, and maybe if you have heard what you've heard from recruits on how Michigan has done the, the virtual visits, the zoom meetings, things like that. So I think one big thing, and, and again, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I can't speak to what other programs have consistently done, but one thing I know Michigan has done that I think, especially on the recruiting trail that has really resonated with guys is they've used Zoom as an opportunity to teach these kids and, and, show, them, and show them different drills and stuff. And so you got to think with a lot of these guys right now, they're not going to have the same amount of resources that they would have had, right? If things were normal uh, on a day-to-day basis, now, right. some schools and States are practicing or they're doing whatever. And a lot of, I mean, most guys are still working out, but I know a lot of top guys. I know they talked to Domani Jackson again today, a 2022 guy, maybe their top two or three biggest target in that class uh, film study and drill work you know and it's like and they these the kids they love it because it's given them more to do and so 
and again, this is really honestly all of this because you know Michigan, I, I feel like has not just weathered the recruiting storm. I think they've really flourished almost uh, throughout this period and how they've recruited, which I think again speaks to having a plan and executing it properly. Uh, probably Dudek, McGee, Harbaugh, obviously, and then the assistants buying in. So, yeah, but from a specific standpoint, I think the biggest thing has been the drills, the film work. I know the guys they signed, you know, when we talked to Matt Hibner, I mean, he explicitly said, you know, Michigan above and beyond as far as, you know, granted they'd already signed him. So they're looking at right. him as like, <laughs> hey, this is a guy that could actually help us. So we're going to do whatever we can. But they've really seems like they've gone out of their way, you know, to use technology and use, you know, this, what's really become an indefinite contact period. I mean, they're still able to contact kids through July and which they're not normally allowed to do. July is usually the month off. Uh, they've really used it to their advantage, you know, in, in building relationships with guys. But also, like I said, I think it's, it, I think a lot of kids really, like they enjoy the fact that a coaching staff is trying to help them get better, you know, during a situation where, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, we talked to like, talked to a lot of different players. It's like for some guys it was easy, like just to do some simple things is like find weights. Right. And stuff to do workouts, you know, and, and, and for guys who aren't committed and guys who, you know, you don't know where people are coming from, what they have, what they don't have. You know, and, and I think Michigan has tried to – if they did anything like they did it with the signees, that they've tailored things to guys depending on what their situation is. You know, so footwork drills, stuff that you could do anywhere with anything, you know, that type of deal. So, no, it's been the most common thing. A lot of kids love it. But they've also been just aggressive and persistent and, and maintaining contact with their top guys too, which I think there's been some criticism in the past that maybe that hasn't been the case. I don't fully agree. I think there are certain instances where – but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd say the, the pandemic for Michigan from a recruiting standpoint has been a massive success so far. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. I mean, better than I ever would have anticipated to be honest with you. I was a little pessimistic about how it would go, uh, you know, with the, with, cause contact is something where it, there have been patterns in which you feel like other schools are contacting the guys, these guys we report as like top targets. There have been patterns where you feel like, man, like two or three other schools are contacting them more than Michigan. You'd rarely hear Michigan as being the school recruiting, you know, a guy harder than anybody else, but it's really almost not a 180. I mean, there's just, it varies by each kid, but we've heard Michigan a lot more often uh, than I anticipated we would, and especially with the sophomore class where the onus is on the kid to contact the staff still you can't con the staff can't contact them directly uh they've built such a much such a better foundation with this sophomore class heading into again if the rules stay the same september 1st they'll be able to contact these kids so it's less than well, about a month and a half they'll be able to contact these kids on their own but they've set a great foundation with a lot of these guys in the younger classes as far as getting to know them and, and developing those relationships well, there you go I got nothing to add. You you covered every single base. So anyway, uh, maybe a slight preview for, for a recruiting podcast this weekend. But yeah, for Steve Renz, this has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. 
maybe forgot to mention this before, but you can read all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. If you like the podcast, uh, let us know. Throw us a rating, subscribe, share it with your friends. Love to see the positive feedback that, that we've gotten uh, past month or so. Uh, so anyway, this has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll talk to you next time.